common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? It's just about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power. power. One broadcast 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 at a time. Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern Time from the Our Common Ground Studios live. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Thank you for being on our Common Ground here tonight, Saturday, April 25th. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you are comfortable in your seat. Uh, My um, um, entertainment uh, for the night, (laughs) I must say my refreshment for the night, Uh, strong bow cider on ice. And we hope that you have your cup of tea or your cup of coffee, your bourbon or your scotch, or even your margarita. Thank you so much. This is our common ground. Um, As we come into the broadcast tonight, uh, all black Americans have found this to be a very hard week. Yet another hard week. So it goes that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peacefully 
to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Tonight on Our Common Ground, as we talk justice and resistance, there is a dangerous storm brewing in the city of Baltimore, Maryland. Protesters have vowed to shut Baltimore down. 3,000 police, the NAACP, the National Action Network, the New Black Panther Party, the Nation of Islam, along with Reverend Al Sharpton, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, Malik Shabazz, Mark Moriel, and protesters that come out of Ferguson are all converging on Baltimore for this weekend of protests and grievance rallies. As you know, on Monday, a mother's son, a father's son, a brother and uncle will be buried in the city of Baltimore, Mr. Freddie Gray. And reports on the death of Freddie Gray came this week portraying a situation that is grievous, that is dastardly, and that is beyond horrific in the lives and the minds of black people across this country, brought on by abuse and killing of a black man named Freddie Gray. The mayor of Baltimore has portrayed his death police missteps and providing information as procedural mistakes. We will not have any of it. From our common ground, we know the black truth. We hope that you will stop and ponder the death of Freddie Gray during this weekend and on Monday as his family lays him to rest. We also saw the confirmation of Loretta Lynch as the U.S. Attorney General and we also witnessed a political misstep coming out of the gate, and we're going to talk about that. There are two reports that I want to bring to your attention. One is that that you can find at rawstory.com, black Americans killed by police in 2014 outnumbered those who died on September on 9-11, as we call it. The other report, 1.5 million missing black men. For every 100 black women not in jail, there are only 83 black men. The remaining men, 1.5 million of them, are in a sense missing. In New York, almost 120,000 black men between the ages of 25 and 54 are missing 
from everyday life. In Chicago, 45,000. 30,000 in Philadelphia and across the South from North Charleston, South Carolina, through Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi, and up into Ferguson, Missouri, hundreds of thousands more are missing. This is why I say to you, black talk matters. This is Our Common Ground, if you're just joining us and would like to join us in the chat room. Our address is blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG, and uh, you can join our chatters. And if you'd like to join us on by listening from your smart device, our number is 347-838-9852. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we are so honored to be joined by uh, a returning Our Common Ground voice. She is Sister Warrior Barbara Arnwine, and we're so glad to have her join us tonight. And it's at a very um, critical and opportune time. Um we just are faced with so many issues and there is always a legal element uh to the oppression that we experience here in this country Barbara Arnwine has served as the president and executive director of the National Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law since 1989 she is renowned for her instrumental contributions to passage of the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1991 and the 2006 reauthorization of provisions of the 1985 Voting Rights Act. She is a leading voice on civil and racial justice issues worldwide in the area of voting rights, housing and lending discrimination, criminal justice reform, employment, education, environmental justice, and much, much more. She's a graduate of Duke Law School, and after working for the Durham Legal Assistance Program, she moved to Raleigh, North Carolina in 1979 to work at the headquarters of the Legal Services of North Carolina. In 1983, she moved to Boston where she was the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law of the Boston Bar Association, and in 1989 she became the executive director of the National Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law in Washington, D.C. Since being there, she has led the effort to secure passage of what became the Civil Rights Act of 1994 playing a senior leading role in the committee's effort in conjunction with the National Commission of the Voting Rights Act. Recently, in March of this year, she took to the airwaves with her weekly news talk radio show on Radio One's WOL 1450 AM, which airs in Washington, D.C., and her show is Igniting Change with Barbara Einwine. We are going to certainly be talking with her about what she's doing on the radio. 
and we thank her so very much for joining us. And we're going to revisit uh, much of her work. And uh, her last visit with us was in 2013. It's just been way too long. Thank you for being with us. This is our common ground. And we are just honored to be able to talk through some really, really tough issues that we're facing in this country with her tonight. This nation was founded by men of many nations and backgrounds. It was founded on the principle that all men are created equal and that the rights of every man are diminished when the rights of one man are threatened. He gives a speech to the nation talking about how critical it is to resolve our problems in the courts and not in the streets. The very next day, Megger Evers is shot dead, assassinated as he comes home from a voting rights rally, a voter registration. A couple of more decades, this will be a predominantly non-white nation, and white people have to start making adjustments and they can't try to hold on to power. This is not going to be South Africa, where you're going to have a white minority ruling. That's not going to happen. And the only way we're going to be able to move forward as a nation is to start really coming to grips with race and being honest about where we've been, who we are now, and what our future has to be like. Because MLK said it the best, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, we will either live together as brothers, as Dr. King said, we are inextricably woven in a common fabric of destiny. And we cannot believe that if my group does well, then that's all that matters. And it is that belief, is that concept of equality for all that just drives what we do as the Lawyers Committee. It's so important that the Lawyers Committee keeps regenerating that with younger lawyers. For the past 26 years, she has been senior leadership, serving as the executive director and president of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we welcome back our sister warrior, Barbara Arnwine. He's producing that from the facsimile that they use for all the rest of us when we're trying to get our driver's license, etc. cetera. Uh, and people are saying that's not good enough. That's ridiculous. It is yeah, absolutely yeah. fear run amok. It's it's the inability to accept the fact that a black man is president of the United States. People, change is coming. You might as well give in. Cool point to make. Um, and so we who practice in this area are all trying to sort out, so what does this look like now? Um, so what the court has now stated is that um, an employer, a public employer, would have to show before throwing out 
uh, its its selection process uh, for promotion, like um, in the Ricci case, would have to have a substantial basis in evidence, and that's the new standard it articulated. Would have to mm-hmm. show a substantial basis in evidence that um, that this practice was in violation of the law. So basically, the court uh, the the court is requiring employers to prove a case against itself. <laughs> it seems impractical. <laughs> no, prove prove that it's not discriminating against white people. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just drove out every lawyer who in the civil rights division who they felt was going to enforce civil rights laws would not turn their back on, you know, appeal after appeal from people for, you know, help to fight various forms of racial discrimination, sex, uh, sex discrimination. They were just terrible. It was disgraceful. And it, it's a shame that our dollars went to pay those people's salaries to do that kind of in Since she was with us last, we have seen the worst hellfire of racist America. Talking with Barbara Arnwine, Loretta Lynch, the Department of Justice, police terrorism and murder, and much more. Talking justice and resistance with Barbara Arnwine on our common ground. Maybe he say You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, Janice Graham. And thank you so much, my good sister Barbara Arnwine for being with us here on Our Common Ground tonight. I'm so glad to have you back. Barbara? Barbara, are you there? Yes. Thank you so much for having me tonight. (laughs) I am so glad to have you back here. And it's such an opportune and critical time, Ooh, uh, even just his, history made this week. <laughs> yes. And you were a big what part a, of what it. What a crazy week. Yes, yeah, you yes. Were, you know, you we, were such a big part of it. <laughs> well, thank you. It was, you know, a real team effort. So many people, uh, you know, Melanie Campbell and Barbara Williams Skinner, you know, from the Black Women's Roundtable and Women of Faith and, uh, you know, so many, you know, people came together to fight against uh, Senator Mitch McConnell's evil effort to derail the nomination of Loretta Lynch to become the Attorney General. So we had to protest, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks, even had to, some people went on a fast, Uh, you know, there were all kinds of things to really force his hand. And I want to give big shout outs to the black people in Kentucky and Mississippi who did a amazing job from the NAAC, Urban League, and so many other groups who just, you know, hounded 
their senators, uh, McConnell and Cochran, until they were able to force this vote that happened, uh, at which uh, finally we knew if we ever got a vote that Loretta Lynch would be uh, elected, I mean, would be, you know, confirmed, and of course she was confirmed by a good margin, you know, 56 to 43. Well, it's, it certainly was a uh, a huge effort that had to be made uh, to move uh, the Senate, and well, to move Mitch McConnell out of the way. Yes. And I think well, that you know, no one can deny that the citizens' participation in all of that had a great deal to do for breaking up uh, the obstruction. Well, they really thought they could take her out. And they really Uh got into a mode where they thought they were going to be able to defeat her nomination at one point. And that they had enough people on the skids, uh, enough people scared, enough people, uh, you know, feeling like there weren't going to be any consequences to their vote that they were just going to deny her that role. And it was kind of in spite. I mean, this is a very spiteful Congress we're dealing with. They're angry with the president. Uh, and they just wanted, and they hate, you know, Attorney General, outgoing Attorney General Holder, and this was nothing but, you know, spite. Uh, mm-hmm. So we had to really, you know, fight, and I, as a friend of mine said, and I agree with her, that this is the first time we've seen some real black power exercised in Congress in quite a while. You're you're absolutely right, and 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 week before last i saw a photograph of you and you were in the in the halls of congress and it looked <laughs> like you were calling on the ancestors <laughs> you had, you were looking upward and i said that's right barbara and 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 whispered a little message to leon higginbotham yes um yes my hero <laughs> and you know what was well, what was so amazing was that uh, when we went to confront Mitch McConnell, we went to his office in the Russell Building, and they of course said, "Oh, he's not available because he's over in his office as Majority Leader." And so we said, "Well, we want to see him," and they said, "Well, he can't come over here." And we said, well, "We want to see, you know, his chief of staff. Well, he can't go over over here because he's so and so and so." And we started. So what we did as black women is we all gathered and started praying uh, in his office. The next thing we know, the doors fly open and there's the chief of staff. <laughs> and he is ready to meet and talk. So, you know, we have this horrible meeting where, you know, he basically says they're not going to move her. and It's just a pure political ploy meeting. And so we left there. And thank God for that amazing sister warrior Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. She marched us over to the Congress. She had to go vote. She said, I'll meet you in 10 minutes at X spot. And sure enough, she met us there and she escorted us up to the majority leader's office. And we went into, we went there. And again, they said, oh, well, you don't have an appointment. Uh, he's too busy to see you, although we found out he was seeing all kind of other people who had no appointments. But in any event, again, and they were like, you know, please leave. And we decided that we would pray. So, again, mm-hmm. we started praying. The next thing we know, we're surrounded by a sea of blue uniforms of police officers that have come, you know, running uh, to try to figure out what to do with us. But we're praying. 
And so they don't know what to do. So you caught that picture you caught was in the middle of the prayer. <laughs> and, uh, and the media came. And once the media came, they knew they had to leave us alone. So they, uh, so we just stayed there and, you know, made our point uh, and, you know, and really, you know, drove home the fact that we weren't going to relent, that we were going to be relentless until they had this vote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know that there was a great celebration uh, last night uh, in New York on her behalf. But Barbara, can you tell us um, what would, what was it like for her going through this oh, for this goodness. long period of time? Oh, it's embarrassing. I mean, and that's what they want to do. You know, they want to take and steal away your spirit, and they want to try to embarrass you. They want to try to make you. Uh, you know, demoralized, but they don't really understand our spirits. You know, she's her father is a minister, okay? He's a black <laughs> minister from, a from Greensboro, Greensboro, North Carolina. North Carolina, <laughs> so what? So they don't understand us that that you know we when you come out of that kind of stock, and he was a civil mm-hmm. rights leader, and you know he mm-hmm. demonstrated, he fought for civil rights. You think that when you come out of that kind of stock, and your mom was also involved, do you think that the child is going to somehow not have a sense of self worth and confidence? So she, mm-hmm. I thought, did very well. She comported herself, you know, strongly during that whole time, and uh, and even though her own even though the senators from North Carolina did not vote for her, it was still, you know, a real day of triumph, mm-hmm. you know, for people who, who you know, just want to see some, uh, you know, just simple justice, right? Because she mm-hmm. was clearly the best qualified uh, for this job. She clearly, there was nothing wrong with her record. Nobody could get up on the floor and point to anything other than the fact mm-hmm. that they didn't like the president. But that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. And, they, the and they, have the, they have that history because at first they thought they were going to Lonnie Guineer her. Exactly. But then her record was so established. Her. Yes. Right. And they had confirmed her twice, remember? They had right. already confirmed that's her right. twice. Mm-hmm. 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 And for, you know, for other jobs, uh, you know, related jobs. So they were in a bad situation. But think about this. I read something that really caught my attention, that – at her confirmation hearing, uh, the they were so intent on you know just laden, uh, you know laden her or you know burdening her with uh, Eric Holder's legacy that they said his name sixty five times I, in the hearing. Yes. yes, yes. Sixty five times versus, you know, her own name, <laughs> you know, not even mm-hmm. half of that amount of time, and just to show you where they were coming from. This was spite, this was hateful, but this is what has become of our Congress. It has deteriorated into this small-minded pettiness. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, we as black people have to do what we've always done, and that is, is that we've always made America better than she intended to be by mm-hmm. demanding that uh, justice have a presence, uh, a real, you know, tangible presence in the actions and the considerations and the deliberations of Congress and of our nation. So, you know, once again, we had to play that, that, that moral role. Once again, we had to 
call out uh, injustice. And once again, we had to, you know, really go face-to-face with people and demand that they uh, realize that there would be negative consequences if they did not, uh, you know, vote for her, you know, vote, uh, once, first of all, hold the vote, and secondly, vote for her. Mm-hmm. I, I think, let me pass something by you, because here are my concerns, and I think yes. uh, many people share my concerns about her coming into uh the head of the Department of Justice at this time under these circumstances because it really has tainted the thinking of so many people who don't know any better. I, I know we have a Congress with evil dummies on one side and evil people and others are evil on the other side, and and it's problematic. But well, uh, try to describe to us what are going to be the essential walls that she's going to have to break through, especially coming in at a time where justice from, uh, uh, where police departments, police officers are no longer trusted by black America. Uh, and, and, And she comes from some history and support from the law enforcement community. Uh, not the not the op, at the officer level, but at the national and state and local administrative and management level. What are going to be her 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 biggest hurdles? Well, I would say, I mean, there's several hurdles. You might recall that uh, during the early years for Eric Holder, they pulled him up and hauled him off, as we call it, up in front of congressional committee after congressional committee to harass him, uh, to, you know, to, uh, you know, to really just make his life miserable. And while he was serving, it got worse. And uh, as you may recall, the, the biggest difference between Eric Holder and others to whom they had used this tactic uh, on was that he was defiant. He got so where he realized that no matter how compliant he would be, no matter how respectful he would be, that they were going to be disrespectful. And if they were going to, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, bully him, you know, try to bully him. And he decided to just, he wasn't going to put up with it. And eventually they stopped calling him up there because they didn't, they were angry because uh, they weren't getting their jollies from beating up on him because he wouldn't allow them to. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, you know, it's going to be an interesting issue for her to see how they act. You know, on the one hand, they're very aware. They're counting the calendar like the rest of us. They know that she only has, you know, uh, and that's why they held up and stalled her nomination, is that they know she has less than two full years of anything. Uh, and I think that, you know, they may not feel that um, as threatened by her because it takes so long for that department to move, you know, policy to to do real work, do investigations, file cases. Uh, it takes them such a long time that they may really feel, you know, less threatened. I think that, however, they hate the president's policies on so many areas that they're going to definitely haul her up, you know, in front mm-hmm. of Congress 
to beat up on mm-hmm. the president because they can't make him come. Uh, so they're going to you know, continue to complain about you know, many, many uh, areas. Remember that you know, the, the job of the, the attorney general is vast. You know, it covers everything from... Uh, mm-hmm. Housing discrimination uh, from, to, <laughs> to, to to you know terrorism, internal security, uh, surveillance, uh, drone strikes. I mean, it, it's it's a huge uh, you know banks and regulations, uh, you know white collar crimes, um, you know blue collar crimes. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's everything. It's a very vast you know uh, department. It's huge. And, you know, you got thousands and thousands of lawyers and, and other employees in the department spread all around the country. Also. Mm-hmm. And, and many of them are holdbacks in the senior management from the Reagan, the Bush-era oh administrations. Oh and, and you know, and give holders some credit for doing a good job getting around a lot of them. You know, one thing he mm-hmm. did, i got to give, you know, I think one thing people – really don't give him credit for is how good a manager he was. I mean, he absolutely hired the right people. He absolutely did something that is very difficult to do in the federal government. Is He was able to take that vast machinery of the Department of Justice and move it. I mean, he decided that civil rights would be a priority. He decided that policing reform would be a, a priority. He decided that criminal justice uh, reform mm-hmm. would be a priority. He went out there and figured out how to make that happen. Fortunately, because he had served you know, before in the administration, he had a sense of that department when he came in, mm-hmm. and he used that knowledge to hire really competent people who he was able to rely upon to move machinery, and I got. And when you talk to those uh, U.S. attorneys, they have nothing but respect for the way in which he was able to redirect policy. And, how mm-hmm. and people well- have to understand that the Bush administration had dismantled yeah. the Civil Rights Division yeah. of the Department of Justice. That's right. And he That's had right. to put all of that together. And you're absolutely right, Barbara. The fact that he was a career DOJ and understood yes. the mechanism made all yes. of the difference. And that was, you know, his strength. And I think another strength was that he was just courageous and smart. And, you know, he, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm very, I'm always fascinated when I talk to the U.S. attorneys to hear them describe the meetings with him. And mm-hmm. how he you know, was so directive, and how they understood uh, what to do. Now, remember, this is the uh, you know, like you said, a lot of these U.S. attorneys were attorneys who were uh, belittled by the Bush administration because they quote couldn't find cases of voter fraud. <laughs> remember mm-hmm. uh, the, yes. the investigation they did mm-hmm. of you know the eighteen you know, different. Uh, you know, units for not coming up with enough cases of you know, voter fraud. And uh, so it's fascinating that, um, you know, and they, and they thought that was resistance. Remember, I mean, the, the Bush mm-hmm. administration mm-hmm. Uh, 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 attorney generals thought that the U.S. attorneys were just being defiant and weren't uh, living up and pursuing their will. And But they kept telling them there was just no evidence of voting fraud. 
and they didn't want to accept it. So I think, you know, when you consider that kind of, you know, tension and, and problems and you consider his saying, listen, we're going to stop prosecuting people for minor offenses. We're going to stop seeking jail time. We're going to stop, you know, bringing, uh, you know, these cases of, against people for simple, you know, marijuana possession. When he did that, that was absolutely radical. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, these and are it was also contrary to what was going on doing these things. It was also contrary to what was going on in the background, and that was the development and embedding of private prisons for profit. Yes, yes. And, That's and what the they were whole really corruption. angry about. Oh, my goodness. And the whole corruption of the criminal justice system. I mean, we, you know, one thing everyone, I think, has concluded, and if they have reached this conclusion, you're correct, the entire system is corrupted. You know, from the policing to the judiciary to the operations of prisons, uh, there is no, there are no angels in this process. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, every part of it is polluted by this, money-making warehousing of people, mainly black people. And it is a horrid reality. And when you look at the stories of the judges who, you know, a couple of them now who have been uh, failed for taking kickbacks, for giving private prisoners uh, a supply of inmates, Uh, when you look at the whole corruption of, the um bill, you know the million dollar industry from um phone calls uh you know from you know just you know praying upon yeah, right. trying to call and connect with their uh loved ones who are behind bars when you look at the whole corruption around um your know, money that is put on cards uh, for prisoners to have you know supplies when you look at the corruption that exists be, uh you know behind um the bars where you see, you know, prisoners with cell phones. <laughs> Who do you think they got them from? Who's operating mm-hmm. that that enterprise? I mean, it's just so much corruption in the private prison industry, where they are meeting, having states signing agreements and contracts, guaranteeing the prisoners, uh, guaranteeing those prisons that they will have, you know, certain occupancy rates. All of that then corrupts policing corrupts prosecution, corrupt, corrupts the judiciary. So it's an ugly, ugly system, and it absolutely cannot, quote, be reformed. It has to be radically restructured. Mm-hmm. You've got to get mm-hmm. these private you know, prisons out of, the, out of uh, the criminal justice system. You've got to, you know, um, you know, stop all this, you know, racial discrimination and racial profiling in the criminal justice system, and it is deep embedded. It's like you know trying to take out the DNA. So that means you got to, you know, uh, you know, just you know, kill this thing and re and reboot something new. I just think that it is uh, at that drastic a uh, a level. Mm-hmm. And 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 one of the things that we can say for the outgoing attorney general is that he has set up the mechanisms by which that kind of work 
those kinds of prosecutions can continue. Yes, one I mean, of my he set up the, the re, re, reform work. Yes, very strong. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I go, when I when I look at as Loretta Lynch, and I have known her since she came to Harvard as an undergraduate student. Oh, it's right. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things that we love about being black. Um, my 92-year-old <laughs> aunt, who was her fifth-grade teacher, wow. calls her parents and says, you know, my niece is in Boston, so <laughs> I'm going to give you her number, and I'm going to give no. her L- Loretta's number, and and I want her to call her and make sure she's eating good. <laughs> Oh, Nobody comes to my house to you, but and 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 that's how it started. And then when they set up the uh, uh, Cambridge chapter for Delta Sigma Theta, uh, I was the oversight monitor in in the setting up from the alumni chapter here. So <laughs> we have a <laughs> a very long history. Um, wow, you know, and um, it. it it, it, it's just um, a, a, a pleasure to know that people progress in their careers in a very, in a way which is full of dignity, and 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 they carry the values of their uh, of of their families in into their yes. professions. It's just such a it, it's such a pleasure uh, to be able to watch that. Um, my concern still mm-hmm. remains that she has to work with this Congress, that she has yes. um, a lame duck president, hopefully that he will be able to give her what she needs immediately. Uh, I have been saying to people over the last couple of days, now is the time to communicate to the Department of Justice exactly what the agenda, what, what priorities in the agenda might be. Uh, to address recent events, and that's what I want to talk to you uh, about. We haven't talked since Trayvon Martin. We haven't yeah. talked since Marissa Alexander. We haven't we haven't had those conversations uh, here at our common ground. And I want to get your take about what has happened over the last eight years and what you see as some of the resolution uh, from both uh, uh, challenging the, the, the system, the legal and judiciary, as well as the government? Well, I think there's been, you know, serious uh, change. You know, one of the things that I think is so dramatic is the ground movement. Um, think about this when... Holder came into office, uh, people were not in the streets uh, protesting uh, police. Um, And let me be very clear when I say people weren't in the streets. I I don't mean that local communities uh, were not protesting uh, local shootings, but a nationwide uprising where you would have, you know, 87, you know, simultaneous demonstrations going on at one time, or mm-hmm. as you've seen this weekend, you know, multiple, multiple demonstrations all over the country happening at the same time, some because of local, you know, shootings, but some in protest 
of shootings nationally, uh, and you know, uh, you know, uh, various you know, kinds of verdicts coming out of juries and judges by judges. So it's been very, very fascinating to realize that the atmospherics around the work of the department has changed, and a lot of people have been marching on the Department of Justice. If you're in D.C., you can't miss it. I am in D.C. They're constantly marching on the Department of Justice. That's my rain route into town, so I know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I see all the protesters. I see all the demonstrations. So you can't deny that that has changed the dynamic because, you know, there's no doubt that Frederick Douglass said, you know, one of the wisest things in the world, and it's just true, that, you know, power concedes nothing without a demand. And when you got that level of demand happening, power has to pay some attention. Uh, mm-hmm. So what you've been seeing uh, is this new dynamic. I mean, that's just really new. And it's, you know, it's not even a full year old yet, uh, you know, because the Michael Brown situation really sparked it off. You know, Trayvon, we, I mean, we can go back to several demonstrations around criminal uh, injustice, including the Gina Six. You can talk about the Trayvon Martin, you know, demonstrations that also had some nationwide character. But this kind of sustained month by month, week by week, day by day, protesting that we're seeing, quite amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that the other thing that we're seeing is the rise of citizens um, uh, being, you know, citizens uh, throughout the country and residents of this nation uh, taking it upon themselves to hold police accountable by filming them and recording uh, these, uh, you know, what's happening and by people leaking, you know, surveillance tapes and all kinds of in- uh, information that is showing us, uh, you know, unjust actions by police. So the anecdotal uh, part of this has been killed by actual factual evidence. Uh, so that's another huge new development. Uh, and it's, you know, powerful. I mean, we saw the Rodney King one, uh, you know, many, many years ago. But uh, but now people have their smartphones, they're whipping them out, and they're seeing that as part of being a good citizen. That when you mm-hmm. see police acting, when you see them acting wrongfully, then record it and report it, and people are doing it. And I, you know, I think that's real different. But at the governmental policy level, uh, what you're also seeing is that uh, in my lifetime and in the time that I've had the pleasure of being a lawyer, I have never seen any Department of Justice file as many lawsuits against police departments um, as this department has done I haven't seen any department file, I should say, as many investigations mm-hmm. against police departments. Uh, but, think but, about it. But that, that also leads us into this effort now and something that yeah. I have had concerns for many, many years about this leaning now to, towards states' rights. Uh, there are many ah. states, uh, Texas, in Texas they're trying to legislate it to be a violation of law to videotape a police officer. Yes, um, I mean, and, and, and remember that Illinois started it, uh, you know, quite a, a number of months ago. Uh, yes, I mean, there's several states that have, have you know, made these attempts um, 
and they've been met with, uh, you know, a, a problem, and that's called the First Amendment. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's uh, been, you know, something that they haven't been able to really overcome. Um, and that's why, you know, throughout the country, uh, there are only out of the 50 states, uh, you know, 48 of them, you clearly can record police. Uh, there are two, however, where, you know, there are questions because of their rules about, you know, how, how much you can record and under what circumstance. But remember, there's one big difference between a private recording of a conversation and recording of police and that is that when a police officer is on duty, he is acting in an official capacity. Official capacity, so yes. He's, so he's not a private citizen in the typical sense of the word. Yes. So he's yes. actually somebody who is performing a governmental duty. That changes everything. Uh, and that makes uh, you know trying to restrict recording of their activities very difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, versus you know people recording a private conversation between two you know two individuals, um, so that's the difficulty that they're confronting in, in court. Because when the Illinois legislature tried to pass the same kind of law as Texas is looking at, their courts you know immediately struck it down and said you know you got to remember these people are acting in official capacity. They're different than a private citizen. Uh, so I think, you know, those are the kinds of things that we got to, you know, keep in mind uh, as we, you know, raise this fight. But that does not mean the citizens should not be vigilant. And when your legislatures come up with these horrible ideas, that you should not fight them and that you should not protest them and that you should not, uh, you know, uh, be writing letters and making it known that this is unacceptable. Because, mm-hmm. you know, our power is in our individual action, it's in our collective action, and it's in our ability to hold governments accountable. Because mm-hmm. the, the one word I said to the, um, uh, to the policing uh, task force, 21st century policing task force, I said, listen, your report needs to start with one word and end with one word, and that's accountability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and we need to also apply that to our elected officials uh, because oh, 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 oh. the yes. lack of political accountability is amazing uh, to me when I have been looking at government since Eisenhower. Uh, <laughs> so, but I, I, in your opinion, what kind of justice reform ought we be focusing on? I know that the Lawyers Committee works so hard around the rising issues and continual issues of voter suppression. I know that you work so hard on the issues of housing discrimination. What kind of reform ought we be prioritizing, in your opinion? Well, I think we absolutely need to be prioritizing uh, the protection of our democracy and making sure that uh, these voter suppression laws are reversed and defeated when they are, you know, introduced and the ones that are on the books, but there are way too many, are, you know, reversed 
and taken off the books. I mean, what we need to do the work that needs to be done for policing reform, for civic engagement, for, you know, uh, you know, for educational equity, for fair housing, all and for health equality, all of that requires the same kind of, you know, creation of much stronger organized political accountability units. You know, what we don't have is enough people going to their local city council meetings, their county commission meetings, and demanding accountability. For example, every community in this country should have the should be demanding that their local city councils allow citizens to have a voice in the selection of the police chief, period. Police chief mm-hmm. is an important role, usually appointed by the mayor or by the county commissioner, but that's a role that citizens should have a say in because we need to go deep into their resumes, look at who these people really are, and hold them accountable for their records and make sure that they're going to, uh, you know, be accountable to the people of the city. Not, you know, have good relations with the city, but to be accountable to them. So those are, you know, the kinds of, but you can't do that by just not showing up. You can't do that by just being outside and holding a, a protest sign. You got to go inside. You got to make demands. You got to put forth policies and procedures, and you got to stay on it tenaciously. Meaning that you show up every Tuesday if the hearings every Tuesday. You show up every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday if that's when the hearings are. You show up every time you are calling people and hounding them during the you know the non hearing times. You are on it. They know that you are not going anywhere until you get what you asked for. And that's the same thing for the state government level, same thing for the federal government level. We are way too quiet. We are way Mm -hmm. too complicit by our inaction uh, Mm -hmm. in what's happening in our country. And we're way too easily um, sitting back and saying, well, somebody ought to do something. No, we need to. I have been consistently encouraging people to understand that any political empowerment, any solution to much of the problems that we are facing as a people has to begin at the local level. Absolutely. You know, I mean, think about it. People have, um, these departments have been running around police departments saying that we're going to have body cameras. Uh, you know, a whole lot of them haven't, and, and people need to be making sure that they do. And they've been saying, okay, we're going to, you know, give our departments body cameras. And lo and behold, an incident happens, and the police officers say, oops, I forgot the body camera. Body camera don't work. <laughs> or, oops, it doesn't work. Now, what is missing is that there's no, you know, people never said we're going to give people body cameras and here are the accountability procedures for using them. Absolutely. So if, Absolutely. You, so if, you're, found, if you're found to not have turned your camera on, you are suspended mm-hmm. for one day. Without pay. If you're, exactly. 
if you're mm-hmm. found to not have, uh, to, uh, you know, to turn it on and a serious infraction occurred, it's alleged, then you are suspended for, you know, X period of time. You know, mm-hmm. if it happens more than once, then you, the, pun, the punishment should be more severe. And if it happens three times, you ought to be out. And, you know, these are the kinds of accountability uh, procedures that communities could be demanding and getting done. Uh, mm-hmm. Similarly, when we look at, you know, something like the Walter Scott shooting, and you look at so many of the you know, Tamir Rice uh, shooting, and you look at other shootings, uh, the Rakia Boyd one that just happened, so many others, it's always fascinating that so many of these officers that are involved in these shootings had prior complaints of police brutality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happened were that these complaints were, quote, resolved, but nobody did anything to these officers. They weren't held accountable. They weren't disciplined. Uh, you know, some of them, like in Tamir Rice, just skipped over to another jurisdiction. No, there has to be, you know, more, once again, accountability. We should say that, you know, if a person has more than three complaints against them for which there was some probable cause, uh, you know, then uh, you know, found that these people need to be off the force. Or, you know, whatever. I mean, but there needs mm-hmm. to be much more accountability. And what we're doing is we're sitting back and allowing these processes to operate without accountability. And once again, we can change that dynamic. And I'm proud of the communities where I see people are standing up, they are making these demands, uh, and we just need that to become universal. You know, we can do it. We just have to be determined to organize ourselves to do it. Absolutely. And we're going to go and take a break. I I, I think you're absolutely right. Accountability at the local level on education, policing, on on government services, everything. Yes. Uh, Everything has to happen, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen by people sitting by. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight, the president and executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. When we come back, we're going to be talking with her about her new career in radio, and we're going to be talking about the leadership at the Lawyers Committee as she goes out in June. I don't like that, Barbara. I don't even like to say that. No, no, no. Be very happy because I'm creating a brand new organization that's going to be powerful. And you're going to talk to us about it in the second hour. Thank you so much. This is our common ground. We know that the challenges are going to be really hard for the decades to come, but we also do believe that the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice, and we do believe that there's a time in our society when people will say, but for a few really hard hits, that this society has really moved towards justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time. I am moving America toward justice. I am moving America toward justice. 
I am moving America toward justice. I am moving America toward justice. To make justice a reality for all of God's children. I am moving America toward justice. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. 32 years, lifting and preserving black truth. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more with Barbara Arnwine of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. I'll be listening for you. I'm all about Davis, about Davis. Obama says we're not going to have boots on the ground, but now you got over a thousand soldiers. You know why there's going to be more? Because they're going to start killing some of those that we've already pulled there now. Exactly. Because if you can't get 30,000 Shiites to stand their ground and they're fully armed, against a thousand Sunnis, and they drop their weapons, drop their uniforms, Drop their draws and run. What have you got? Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass. The Alpha Show. The Alpha Show. Fridays, 10 p.m. Just damn. Advanced political pushback. Talk radio on TruthWorks Network. Every Friday, he's all about politics. 10 p.m. TruthWorks Network. (laughs) Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals. The United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. This neighborhood sure has changed in my lifetime. You know, there was a time when people like me couldn't live here because of their race or the color of their skin. I'll never forget how I felt being told I wasn't welcome in this neighborhood, that this apartment was for whites only. That got better over time, but some people still didn't get equal treatment when it came to finding a home. No, there's no apartment here for you. Well, I own this building now. The Fair Housing Act made a difference for someone like me. It gives us the opportunity to live in communities of our choice, free from discrimination. The Fair Housing Act makes it illegal to discriminate in the renting or selling of a home because of race, color, religion, sex, national origin, familial status, or disability. Know your rights. If you believe you have experienced housing discrimination, contact HUD. This is TruthWorks Network, the Black Voice Collaborative, where the truth is spoken more than once. Thank you so much for your support and joining us tonight.
think about really the work that I'm doing and, and the hardships that my parents and that these workers face and it really puts things in perspective for me. It's actually a privilege for me to be doing this kind of work and so that, that keeps me going. Every law student wants to be a part of uh, social justice, civil rights, and this organization, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, allows for practitioners and students to continue to give back to the community and to support the justice system. So I think that it's just probably inherent in being someone who goes. Thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and every Saturday night at 10 p.m., I'll be listening for you. Stay tuned. want to remind you that on May 5th, Tuesday, 9 p.m., India Declare will be returning with I De- with the I Declare show here at Blog Talk Radio, and we will welcome her back after her hiatus and let her know that we have missed her days, 9 p.m., the I Declare show. So I'm asking for the truth. I know the truth. I know enough. What is your in game? This is our common ground. Oh, great. making me high here at Our Common Ground when we talk with you with one of the nation's most honored contemporary legal and civil rights icon, Barbara Onwine. Our number is 347-838-9852, and we'll take your call just after I have this discussion with Barbara Onwine about what's going on at the Lawyers Committee as she is the outgoing president and executive director, and her radio career, Igniting Change at WOLAM in Washington, D.C. Barbara, give us the scoop. Yes. Well, you know, I've been at the Lawyers Committee for 26 years. Six years. And I've been <laughs> 26 years. And I've been part of the Lawyers Committee's family because I was at the Boston Lawyers Committee for that regional office for seven years. So in total, I've been a part of the Lawyers Committee's family for over 33 years. And I realized that it was time to move on, to do some things in my career that I wanted to do that I absolutely cannot do at the Lawyers Committee. And I had been actually telling people for years, in 2007, I told people, hey, I'm out of here. I'm going to be leaving the Lawyers Committee in the next couple of years. Uh, And then, of course, along came voter suppression. And, uh, And I got caught up in that fight. And all of a sudden, I looked up, 
and the years had passed, and I realized that this was either, you know, make it or break it time. So I wanted to, you know, move on. I never intended to retire from the Lawyers Committee, uh, and I always thought and, and intended to retire from my, my next career job. And so I am now doing a couple new things. One is I'm really getting much more embedded in the whole communication spectrum, through my radio show, and secondly, I'm creating a new organization, the Transformative Justice Coalition, which will Whoa. be working on racial, gender, and economic and social justice issues, both domestically and internationally. And I'm going to be doing, you know, some, you know, policing reform, criminal justice work, civic engagement work around voting rights. I'm also going to venture out and do some new things that I haven't been able to do, like, you know, really working with a number of young people throughout the country who are developing into leaders and need a more seasoned leaders, you know, guidance and information and perspectives. Uh, and, you know, instead of, you know, trying to compete with these kids, I want to, you know, really see them blossom into really effective and strong leaders and to be able to run the course because I, you know, and not to, um, you know, become discouraged, disenchanted, uh, isolated, and where they just burn out and they leave the fight for justice. I want to really be part of nurturing them and, uh, you know, and helping them and assisting them and sharing with them uh, so that they become the lone distance runners that we need in this fight for justice. So that's one thing. That's and a I lot. also, you know, Ah. A, a whole nother lifetime. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, so I want to work on, you know, all kinds of other issues like sports and, you know, and racial justice. It just burns me up to see, you know, the way our, you know, black athletes, men and women get exploited uh, in our country. Uh, there's, you know, a whole lot around health issues that are not being addressed. In fact, one of the tragedies in the Congress is that if you go up there, you will find that there's virtually no one who um, advocates and lobbies for black people around health issues. So there's, you know, all kinds of, you know, uh, you know uh, missing links. But one thing you might remember, Janice, is that um, in 1995, uh, I put on, you know, I helped to co-convene with Adua Yatoro and Dean Alice Gresham, both then from uh, Howard University, a I do major remember. conference of African-American women in law. We had a 1,000 women who came. Well, the 20th anniversary of that conference is this year. And wow. I want to really start reconvening that conferencing. It was so important. It changed, you know, so much about the legal uh, you know, field and sector for black women as we know it. And I want to see that coming. And that's something I just literally have wanted in my heart to do for at least 15 years uh, again, but I haven't been able to because of the crush of work at the Lawyers Committee. So that's just, uh, you know, another one of those things that I've been, you know, suppressing uh, within me that I desperately want to do. So I see this as all for the good. It's the liberation of Barbara Arnwine. It's the evolution of Barbara Arnwine. It is the next stage, and I intend to take it up a whole lot of notches. 
Now, Igniting Change with Barbara Arnwine, um, although it broadcasts from WOL in Washington, D.C., it can be heard on the Internet. Absolutely. Yes, I I have. On Tuesdays at what time? Yes, Tuesdays from noon. Tuesdays at noon, so it's an easy time to remember. You know, grab your lunch and, you know, turn on the dial, uh, you know, and turn on your, you know, go online at uh, com. So it's very simple. You know, uh, com and listen. And people are listening. I mean, I'm hearing from people in Georgia, Los Angeles, Chicago, Boston, everywhere, New York. People are listening to the show. And it's very exciting to, uh, you know, because we have your top guests and we're really taking on some heavy issues that you don't necessarily hear everybody else talking about. But the unique factor about the show is that it also talks about what you can do. You know, mm-hmm. what can you, as an activist, as somebody who cares about these issues, what can you do about it? And if you go to the com website, you'll find that it is just rich. It's replete with all kinds yes, of resources. Take action, including petitions. We're going to be loading all kinds of your toolkits and model legislation on there around a whole series of issues. Uh, it also, you know, has uh, just you know, so much good. Uh, it even has a bookshelf of, you know, recommended readings. Um, it is just a, a really different kind of radio show. And I, you know, and I'm just so, you know, grateful to it. And I've learned so much from you, Janice, because you are, you know, one of my role models. Uh, because well, you thank are, you. you know, I'm honored. Light years ahead of me. You're light years ahead of me in the in this field. And I've learned so much from you. And I'm constantly showing my staff. Look what she does. Look how she does it. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so we are, you know, uh, you know, trying to emulate, you know, your incredible, you know, wisdom and vision. Well, it's certainly you are certainly a natural for radio, and I've been saying that to you for years. And I, I was just <laughs> so pleased when when you announced igniting chains with Barbara Arnwine. And for those of you who are listening. The address where you can catch it Tuesdays at noon is Barbara Arnwine, and we have posted it in our chat room uh, for those of you who would like to join us. Now, Barbara, you know, you have just described another lifetime of career. Tell us a little (laughs) bit more about how people in the audience can learn more how to evolve what you are doing, what you are going to be doing after June in transforming justice into their communities? Well, one thing doing is that this is also very different than how I've approached my work at the Lawyers Committee, is that I'm going to be doing a lot of courses. I do a lot of public speaking. I'm going to continue to be, you know, out there speaking uh, on, you know, all, you know, a host of issues. Uh, but I'm also going to be working with communities, uh, you know, and providing some direct 
you know, assistance and advice and counseling um, about, you know, um, what I call, you know, mobilization. You know, I say there's, you know, three areas where I'm going to be working on. One is, you know, public education, making sure people have the knowledge and the information they need. Second, I'm going to be working on uh, public policy, you know, changing a whole lot of rules, mm-hmm. laws, procedures. Uh, and third is I'm going to be working on what I call community mobilization and helping communities to mobilize around, you know, issues and to um, become more effective at getting results. You know, my, my friend, my dear friend, Reverend Yearwood, loves to say that, you know, mobilization without legislation is futile. Uh, and because he says, you know, you got to have an outcome uh, to the mobilization, mm-hmm. and you got to have a result of it, and you got to have something that changes as a result of your mobilization. So I, you know, so I want to, you know, help to give people those tools and to, you know, help people develop those tools. And so that's one thing I'm really excited about. And so that's, you know, going to be some of the work I'm going to, you know, I look forward to doing uh, that's going to take my, my role to a different level because, you know, now I go in and out of communities and I give speeches and I give people, I spark ideas, and then I'm gone. Well, I'm going to mm-hmm. start, you know, going into communities and working with people and building, you know, lifelines and, you know, share lines and all kinds of things moving forward. And I'm going to be, you know, really focusing on, you know, uplifting, you know, our young people because that's mm-hmm. my, my, you know, this whole youth leadership development part of the work is key to me. I mean, that's really uh, where I want to work, and I know it's not easy work uh, because there are so many, you know, challenges there. But I am reminded uh, that, you know, it's a, one of our leaders has pointed out to me, and it's a frightening thought. He points out that the remember all those beautiful people we saw in the streets uh, doing hoodies up and yes. fighting around the whole Trayvon Martin situation. What three years ago, four years ago now? Um, he points out to me that less than five percent of those activists are still active. Yes. Uh, we can we can even go move. we can even go into Ferguson actually right. in the city of Ferguson, and see that same thing. And we can't afford to lose that kind of talent. No, as we a, can't. As a people. We, and we so capturing that talent, uh, providing, you know, uh, so many unknown, you know, leaders uh, who are out there wanting to blossom, uh, providing them the they need to develop instead of trying to push them aside <laughs> is uh, – it's going to be the work that I'm going to be working on. Well, I, I just I I think that is tremendous, and it certainly comes from both your experience and your and and your leadership as a visionary uh, in putting together a more strategic way in which we address all of these problems. Because yes. I, I generally have. Th- thought of myself as a very hopeful and positive um, person with lenses to try to find the strength and dismiss the weakness in what we do as community activists. And I tell you, lately I have been a little bit um, confused about 
how we start harnessing all of this yes. energy to something yes. that makes a difference. That's right. You know, Barbara, and one you know, of the things we mm-hmm. saw in the in the eighties, in the seventies and the eighties was lawsuits against injustices and discrimination in education in our public schools. Um we don't see that anymore. Well, and you don't see it, you know, in a, in a huge uh, quantity of cases. There are some, you know, new cases that have manifested, and you're going to probably start seeing uh, my prediction. One of the things I would predict on the litigation front is uh, you're going to start seeing a lot more lawsuits uh, against uh, police, not mm-hmm. uh, for uh, not necessarily just around police brutality or uh, Killings. What you're going to actually see is a lot of uh, lawsuits around policing for targeting black communities mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and over-policing black and brown and Native American communities uh, where they're so offensive. And I think mm-hmm. you're going to start seeing much more of that type of litigation where people are going to be challenging the um, – you know this, this uh, you know racial profiling uh, of these communities, and I predict you know a lot more litigation of that sort, which would be impactful uh, litigation, mm-hmm. especially you know where you have success. Uh, and so I think that you're going to see you know that kind of litigation arising, just like you saw uh, you know litigation against you know some of these banks uh, you know many years ago for you know, foreclosure. Uh, you know, uh, loan problems, I think you're going to see a lot more of this uh, type of of community-based litigation against uh, policing. Uh, So Uh I think that's going to be one new litigation front that's going to open up. I also, you know, really believe strongly that, that, you know, people are just beginning to get the, uh, what would you say, the understanding around what's going on with the school-to-prison pipeline. You know, we, we've been able to talk about its characteristics, its results uh, pretty well, but I think we're now getting a much deeper understanding about what are the practices that underlie mm-hmm. all of this. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to see more intervention around those, around those practices at both the policy level and at the litigation level. So I think those are the, you know, and and I believe, of course, uh, that you will see from, you know, private litigators like, you know, the Lawyers Committee uh, and from uh, governmental litigators like the Department of Justice, a whole lot of lawsuits coming down the line regarding voting rights. Uh, Because one thing Loretta Lynch has to deal with is that we have major election coming up next year, 2016. And yes. unfortunately, whenever there's a major election coming up, these legislatures go into overdrive to try to restrict the right to vote. So there's going to have to be you know, all kinds of legal challenges because I must say, uh, Dennis, that in my, in my career, I have never been able to quite uh, anticipate how low they will stoop to deny people the vote. And uh, so the evil that can come up and the, you know, evil practices and evil proposals, I can't even begin to contemplate. 
because I have been shocked at the uh, manifestation of some of the ones I've already seen. Wow. We are in conversation with Barbara R. Arnwine. Our number is 347-838-9852. If you'd like to join us in this conversation, we only have a few more minutes with her because I know she's got to get to church in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) You know that. You know, and I I go to the new service. (laughs) I I did want to ask you, I I was really surprised. I was expecting at some point you were um, going to call me and say, Oh, you know, that's the night of the um, correspondence dinner, and I'm not going to be able yeah. to make it. Um, but well, that'll be next year. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that I'm really confused about, Sister Barbara, is what's going to happen at the lawyers' committee. <laughs> I can't oh, imagine a lawyers' committee without you. Well, you know, there was a lawyer's committee without me for 20-plus years before I came there. Uh, you know, for, what, yes. 26 years, yeah, you know, half of its life. You know, there was no Barbara Arnwine on the horizon. Um, and, you know, in 26, the lawyer's committee is 52 years old. And uh, and now, you know, I've been there for 26 years. There were, you know, uh, there were at least five executive directors before me. There will be several others after I leave. And I, you know, I accept the fact that this has been a really wonderful, you know, position that I've I've held, but I am totally aware that your purpose in life is not your position, you know, Mm -hmm. that a position Mm -hmm. is something that you occupy to pursue your purpose, hopefully. A lot of people occupy positions that have nothing to do with their purposes in life. And so, you know, I've been blessed to be able to merge them somewhat. But at the same time, you know, I am blessed to be able to move on and to create another position that also fulfills my purpose at this season time in my life. You know, I am a seasoned leader. I am a seasoned person. I'm mature. And it is time to be in a role and in a position that exploits those capabilities and allows me to use my voice and my and to elevate and magnify you know that voice in a new way that uh you know that a whole lot of you know uh groups cannot do and mm-hmm. that it's much more difficult and so you know so you know my desire to do this youth leadership has been with me for quite a number of years a lot of people have known about it in my board and it's just been so hard because it's impossible to do it at the lawyers committee uh mm-hmm. in the way mm-hmm. that I want to do it uh the mm-hmm. you know desire to you know uh, you know to you know really move forward with uh the you know African American Women in the Law Conference again uh, has been there for you know more than a decade it's been extremely frustrating not to do it and i just think that you know the committee is it's time for new leadership there. Now, they're going to have to be wise, right? They're going to have mm-hmm. to be wise and really look for somebody who's strong, who's bold, who's innovative, who's visionary, and they're going to have to do that, and they're going to have to resist the temptation to want to be safe. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's always mm-hmm. that temptation in organizations to, you know, want to 
go with the flow, you know, uh, for the status quo to be, you know, clapping for what they're doing. That doesn't happen if you're really fighting for change. So, so you know, I'm hoping that they will continue to understand, you know, how, um, how you know, I pushed them. And it wasn't easy all the time. You know, I pushed no, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my board. I pushed people out of their comfort zones. I had to, you know, make believers out of people who, who didn't want to believe. I had to overcome resentments, you know, from, you know, people, you know, in many, you know, all the time, every place I worked, I've had to, you know, resist, um, you know, people's, uh, you know, feelings that, you know, I, I pushed the envelope a little bit too hard. But I think that, you know, that the reality for the Lawyers Committee is that that's the only way it's going to make the kind of progress it's made. It's the only way it's going to continue to be on the map. It's the only way it's going to, uh, you know, be a powerful force for change is that you've got to fight for change because the status quo is about inertia. It's about staying in the same position with the same people having privilege, with the same people being excluded, with the same people being disadvantaged, and with preying upon, you know, the people who are hopeless, you know, helpless to fight back. And we have to change that. We got to change that always. We got to always say to people that, yes, you can fight back. And we're going to be there with you. We're going to hold your back. We're going to give, you know, be you know, one of your uh, tools and your arsenals of uh, ways to fight back. So I just, uh, you know, I really um, am grateful, you know, for the time that I've had to be at the Lawyers Committee. But I am fully prepared to move on, and I hear God's calling, right? You know, I'm a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yes. I, you know, I got to listen to what 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 is. Uh, you know what my, you know what I hear in my spirit. Well, we've got one caller who wants to talk with you, and I want you okay. to know that not only am I'm personally grateful for the leadership that you have provided and the very strong and competent staff that you have put together and yes. maintained for such a long time. We are grateful for the purpose that you have demonstrated in your work for the sacrifices that you have made. Uh, And we're just so honored for our association here at Our Common Ground with you. And we want you to know that we are available for whatever you need as you move out into this new era of the life of Barbara Arnwine. Let's go to our caller 
purpose of denying, of denial. And when it comes to equality, they what the Republicans and the conservatives have been very successful in doing is stacking the courts with uh, a backstop. You know, if you play big with, if you know what a Trump is, these are their Trump cards. Corrupt prosecutors and corrupt judges who not rule on the law because no one has a fidelity to the law anymore. They simply rule politically. They, you know, you hear them accuse progressives, liberals, of activist judges, wanting activist judges, when that's exactly what they are themselves, activist judges legislating from the bench. Our Supreme Court is, is, is just so silly. It's so contaminated. It's a contagion. There's no reason, there's no way Citizens United should have come to pass when it wasn't even, that wasn't even the question. It was due to another, so they, they raised that issue. They have been able to successfully legislate discrimination, bigotry. They've been successful in legislating the voter suppression and all of that. How do you successfully legislate voter suppression using voter fraud when there is no voter fraud? And it's just, I I have a a less of an optimistic view of our judicial system, of our legal system, and I don't feel the country is a country of laws anymore. I don't feel that the country is a, it's just an adversarial cesspool. Okay. All right. Um, Yeah, thank you for a very, very complex question and observation. Um, Let me say yes and no, right? You You know, as I said at the top of the hour, you know, I believe that the criminal justice system is just corrupt all the way through, from the policing to the prosecution to the uh, sentencing to the imprisonment to the incredible, you know, social death that people experience once they come out and find out that they're barred from, you know, employment and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I have, you know, uh, you know, a couple of takes on all of this. I believe fundamentally that, yes, we're dealing with, you know, white supremacy, that, yes, we're dealing with, you know, structural racism and I also, and we're dealing with, you know, fear of demographic change, but we're also dealing with a new form of economic uh, predation, you know, predatory, you know, practices, and we're dealing with a new form of economic competition where, you know, because there's so few jobs that it's easy to block out, you know, black people by, you know, incarcerating them and then punishing them and saying they can't be hired because they've been incarcerated, and it reduces your number of you know competitors and I and for the few jobs that are out there, and it also it forces people into taking these you know low wage, worthless you know jobs that really don't you know help people to advance um, in their you know uh, careers to feed their families well, etc. So I think you know there's a lot of forces at play here, not to mention 
that, you know, big money has always thought that it should run the government. And we've always have had this war, uh, you know, resurface over and over in our history of oligarchs, you know, trying to, uh, that is, you know, people with money, uh, you know, big, big businesses, well, wealthy billionaires trying to run the government. Uh, and we're seeing it now manifested, you know, in with some of their allies, you know, in, in not only in the government, but their allies in the courts. Uh, where I said that you got to look at it, on, however, there's one other thing I do want to point out, however, is that um, as far as the bench goes, uh, you know, some, you know, five to seven of the Court of Appeals have been reversed from conservative courts of appeals to majority, lib- quote, liberal courts of appeals under the Obama administration because he's had that authority, even with the Congress, Senate, you know, dragging their feet and resisting him and giving him all kind of hell with his nominees, he's still been able to reverse the composition of several of those courts. And a lot of his judges, you know, now are, you know, in power and are, you know, making a difference on the bench. So I, I don't want us to, you know, and remember there's always, you know, the criminal system and the civil system um, that you have to look at. Uh, so, you know, so I so I don't want to, you know, just say that it's, that uh, that we're dealing with mostly Bush, you know, hangovers, et cetera, because we really do see the imprint of, of Obama's, uh, you know, um, work uh, on the court. I just think that they were, you know, I think the administration was way too slow uh, in getting up off the ground and pushing nominations like I advised them to do real fast, and they didn't. Um, so and now they're caught up in this, you know, um, this vibes with these evil, you know, uh, legislators in, in the, you know, at the senatorial level. So I, I think there's, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, challenges. I, you know, I'm I'm an optimist because I ultimately believe not only, you know, in justice, uh, but I ultimately believe in people power. I think that you know you know that ultimately this uh nation you know has to either make you know build a bridge and create a new society that is one full of you know racial equality and justice, or this nation will deteriorate and become irrelevant in the international community uh it cannot be competitive. It cannot survive uh, as it's going right now. Uh, so I think that, you know, it's going to have to face that choice, you know, either choose to change to live or stay mired in this, you know, inequality and die. Uh, so I think, you know, I think it's that drastic, frankly. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a question that we're going to have to address. Uh, and we're going to have to make some choices. And if we make choices to live and to succeed, then we got to change the racial dynamic. There's no way to do it otherwise. I'm happy that you are optimistic at that point. Because, well, I'm, uh, uh, you know, you got to have you got to have the optimist, right? You got to well, have the optimist. You're right. And you got to have right the pessimist. It. Too. You gotta, you know, you gotta have balance. You gotta have the optimists well, who say yes, we can, and you gotta have the the um, 
the pessimists who say, you better watch out. <laughs> you got to have both. <laughs> I look at it as more of a reality. And the reality yeah, is, and I, we, we, like you said, you felt that uh, they should have pushed for the judicial change earlier. And we are always yeah. reacting. We are always reacting to what has happened. So we always begin from behind. We have so much to overturn. The, you know, we we didn't we we never see it coming because we're always looking the other way. We well, always you know, I go also home. Think, but see, I also think part of the problem too is that our successes are never lifted up and celebrated. I mean, you know, I mean, I think it's it's astounding when you look at some of the re- recent data that's coming out um, that. You know, you know, and and you got to really sit back and think about what's going on in society that's resulting in some of this data, but we don't talk about it and we don't analyze it on the positive side. You know, I mean, African American children and our young people have somehow, you know, really made some serious reversals in the last, you know, two years. I mean, well, the last, you know, five years around educational attainment. I mean, if you look at the rate of graduations from high school versus the, you know, incredible, you know, push out and dropout rates we were seeing up during the Bush years, it's quite amazing uh to see, you know, what's been going on, but nobody talks about it because it's it's mm-hmm. good news and people don't like to talk about black good news. Uh well, the, we don't. the the and the decline of black Teenage pregnancy rates, amazing. Uh, you we know, don't just control the airways. Look at it. Huh? We don't control the airways. Exactly. So I'm saying we, that it's, it's, not, it's not as if we don't engage in battles and win. You know, another one that I love to you know, always point out to people is that if we had not, as black people, taken the kind of fight or against voter suppression by saying, okay, you know, your voter suppression laws are not are designed to knock 25% of us out and out of the game. But what we're going to do instead is that we're going to, you know, show up in larger numbers, we're going to register more of us, and we're going to turn out, and we're going to fight you that way. And if we had not done that, if people had not stood out in those lines for two and three and five and six and seven and eight and ten hours, uh, you know, there would never have been a President Obama. And there certainly would not have been a second term. Uh, because, you know, think about it. The Koch brothers and all the rest of them, they, they sunk billions of dollars into winning those two presidential races. And all of their billions of dollars, all of their voter suppression, all of their buying off of elected elected officials, all of the laws that they tried to pass, all the stuff they did, we defeated them uh, without anything approximating the billions of dollars that they had, uh, that they spent. And they, you know, as you know, they've been licking their wounds and cursing out people and firing people left and right because of that. Because they can't figure out how could it have happened. It happened because we fought. It happened because they underestimated, you know, our ability to, you know, to make sure that, you know, that we can win. Uh, So I don't want us to, you know, to really lose our story 
because our story can't be half told. Our story has to be told fully. I'm not saying that at the time we did not you know, experience you know, severe losses, but, but there's been some serious wins that nobody's talking about. And I want us to, you know, that, that balance is important to have, you know, the, the right, you know, information and to really appreciate what's going on. Well, hopefully we'll continue this heavy lift and uh, be <laughs> successful in the bottom line. Because right now, right now, I, I, and I, you know, you were, you were there um, in the battle to get a vote on Loretta Lynch. What I yes. don't understand, what I, what I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm scraping the, 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 the pit, the basement of my brain. Why is it that the women of the black caucus of the of the black caucus? Why are they congratulating Mitch McConnell? He did absolutely nothing to deserve. They didn't congratulate him. They didn't congratulate him. That rascal came out there when he saw them assembled and got his photoshop with them. They did not congratulate him. Uh, well, nobody said, said that, Barbara. Because yeah. I'm ready to break out in uh, Rachel tell the truth. <laughs> and, and, not, and nobody and nobody had a bat. Nobody had a bat. Nobody thought to bring an aluminum bat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't have been allowed. It wouldn't have been allowed. Have you ever tried to get up in that in that Senate? Please. They would they have, have, have one of them small ones in their purse or something. Uh, <laughs> this is a small, real, real small, a real small one. This is Alpha of the Alpha Show on TruthWorks Network. And Alpha, you need to go and get ready to go to church with Barbara in the morning. Because you're going to go to the Senate and try to take a bat in there and see what happens. You can't see them the last when I was in there, when I was there for the vote on Loretta Lynch. They had to run my bag a couple of times trying to figure out. Because you know, I got one of those purses. And everything in the world's in it. So they were trying to figure out what in the world was in my bag. <laughs> Alpha, thank you for your call. <laughs> All right, thank you. Barbara, you know, who to, you, for your call. You, know who, you know who to pray for in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> He's the host of the TruthWorks Network political pushback show on Friday nights at 10 p.m. at TruthWorks but I'm Network. Glad he, but, you know, I'm glad he said what he said, and that's the one thing, you know, I really have enjoyed working with you over the years because people don't understand how much when you deal with people, you know, who are in the media, who are thinking about these issues, who are looking at them, how much you spark us who are advocates to also, you know, really – you know, uh, rise up, you know, a lot you know, higher, yeah. and a lot taller. Yeah, yeah. that's fight. right. That's right. Yeah. You Barbara, online, you are such a gift to our people. You are such a gift. And I want people to know that your purpose has come from not only your training and your experience as a professional and as an attorney, but it also has come from some personal experiences in your childhood and your early oh, yeah. life. And yeah. uh, when we live with that, 
and we understand the challenge that has been placed on us by our life experience, then our purpose becomes embedded. And thank you so much, and we are just so grateful for your service to this nation. I can't begin to thank you for, you know, just these years that you've helped me to develop my voice, that you've allowed me to, uh, you know, share perspectives with your audience, for your friendship, for your intellectual enrichment, uh, just for everything that you have done and the important role that you played. And I, you know, I consider, you know, sometimes people don't understand it, that when you do the kind of advocacy work that I do, as bitter and as hard as it is, to stay, you know, optimistic, to stay strong in this work, to stay, you know, to have be to have some integrity around this fight, that, you know, you gotta really be able to be surrounded by, you know, good spirits. And you yes. take that energy from those good spirits and that's what gets you through the fights. That's what gets you through the, the dark spots, because there are dark spots. But that's what, you know, gives you the energy to get up and to fight again and to win. And, mm-hmm. you know, because ultimately it's about the win, right? You're, ab- you're absolutely right. And, and what our people need to really embrace is the idea that to get to place A, you have to have your eye on B, C, D, E, and get through that in order to get to Z. Well, we have to be multidimensional thinkers. Yes, and absolutely. And I, I tell people that all the time. You can't be a linear thinker. You can't be, a, you know, a binary thinker. You have to be a multidimensional thinker. You got to see things, you know, from very, from a series mm-hmm. of different lenses, and you got to be willing to move, you know, through a whole, you know, myriad of different, uh, you know, uh, sectors and with a whole uh, arsenal of strategies. And, Absolutely. you know, you can't be a, just yes. a one-shot person. Mm-hmm. Well, we're certainly going to be calling on you at our common ground. In October, I will be seeing my 33rd year of broadcasting. And one of the things that we're going to be doing is an entire week, a civics academy. So that people oh, understand uh, on the on the air, people will understand exactly why voting matters. Yes. Yes. So we hope you'll you'll join us uh, during that time. We certainly have some real hard hitters coming our way: Judith, Dianis Brown. Uh, and oh, yes. some others that I have talked about it. We're t- we're, I would really, uh, I've talked to Makani Thimba of the uh, yes. Paxis Project to really yes. take this on the road. So we'll certainly be calling for you, and we certainly wish you well and God's blessings and that you say, say continue to stay strong and keep us woke. Well, thank you for all the enlightenment that you bring, 
all the time and for your amazing spirit, your creativity, your vision. Just thank you for being who you are because you make us who we are. And we are grateful to you, and I can't wait to continue to work with you, and I look forward to October, and I hope they have some new announcements in October, so that's exciting. Well, we we certainly wish you well, and, and we are just grateful for you and your vision and the purpose that you have demonstrated in your life. Thank you, Barbara Arnwine, so very much. We Thank are so you. honored to have you back. You can't stay away as long. I didn't realize, I mean, I, I guess because... I'm engaged with you all the time. I hadn't realized that it was so long since you were here last. Uh, isn't that something? And um, we got to fix that. That's because we're so busy. And time flies yes. when you're busy. Yes. How, Thank you so that, much. How, and yeah. Godspeed and may the force be with you. Always. Thank you. That was our warrior sister, Barbara Arnwine, a legal and civil civil rights icon in our time. You're listening to Our Common Ground. We're going to take a little, um, a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be saying goodbye. We hope that uh, you were enlightened by our visit in conversation with and I am sure that you were, Barbara Online. If you're willing to accept our freedom, then you have to be willing to accept what comes with. What's happening here is bigger than you. This is about every black man who cannot get justice. You have to change. You take their drugs, you sleep with their women, and then they put you in their hands. You need to represent. You need to be the voice for people who do not have a voice. country 
And then you look at the global issues of white supremacy and you wonder where to start, how to start. But we've got some wonderful resources, wonderful resources um, that we can cross these rivers at their guidance. And I am just so very grateful for that. Thank you for being with us at Our Common Ground next Saturday night. We are going to be looking at the issue of 1.5 million missing black people, and we're going to be talking specifically around the question of how do you begin in your community to get control over police terrorism and murder. I'm Janice Graham, and I thank you for your support, and I thank you for your listenership. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at JaniceOCG, and subscribe to Our Common Ground on Facebook. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground tonight with Barbara Arnwine, sister warrior, comrade, ally. We wish her well. We thank our callers and our listeners for being with us. We're here each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves. As we go out tonight, we send a special shout-out to our sister Asada Shakur for her to know that we have her in our prayers. Thank you all, and see you next Saturday. I'll be listening for you. I'm sure in other areas, I don't know, you know, uh, after slavery, people went around looking for their family, looking for the mark that they put on their children. So I'm sure there's a lot about my family's separation and the pain. I don't know whether in the coast of Africa or the coast of uh, some island in the Caribbean or in the United States. Uh, separation is a real part of being African uh, in the Americas, being slaves or ex-slaves. Uh, in my own case, uh, Prison has meant separation, exile has meant separation, and, well, I'm going to be real right now, because I can't be any other way. Uh, today, uh, my mother died, and I didn't know if I could do this, but since I didn't have anything else to do, and I figured this was the best homage I could pay to my mother, is to try to carry on her tradition what she passed down to me, what my grandmother passed down to her, and what their fourth mothers passed down to them. I hope that I can live up to my mother's example, and I hope I can live up to my ancestors' expectation of me, because I really believe 
that I have a duty to all those have, who have come before me, to all those who lie at the bottom of the ocean, to all those who lost their lives, whether it's in the cane fields or the cotton fields or, you know, hanging off some tree, to continue this struggle and to continue to love and to continue to believe and to continue to try to be human, to be giving, to be loving. Are we all alone fighting on our own? Please give me a chance. I don't want to dance. Something's got me down. I will stand my ground. Don't just stand around. Don't just stand around.